0: There are two heavy-hitting propositions that were just read for you. In where we were just located in the text of chapter 12, you'll notice two of them that perhaps stand out to you or have stood out to you in the past, of which I wish between this week and next week to be helpful. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. So far, so good. You feel pretty good about that one. Then it continues. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The second one that will stand out to us would continue the thought in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. These stand out perhaps to you. I know they do to me and have to me, and maybe we have heard people speak on these before in ways that have proved, perhaps, as I would argue, to be somewhat unhelpful. So, I'm hoping to be helpful. In order to do that, I want us to sufficiently wrestle with the language that has led us up to that language. Strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, look at verse 12. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. Be healed. Now, if I were to say something like that to you, or to myself as i put myself in that situation i cannot in and of myself lift my drooping hands that would prove to be unhelpful for me for you if i encourage you this morning That as you are this individual, who in chapter 12 already is in verse 3, growing weary, and you are faint-hearted, and I turned and I said to you, in isolation, you came to me or at some point to someone, and you had a conversation about being weary when tested, feeling faint of heart. I said to you, or that person said to you, well, lift your drooping hands. You say, well, I I was wanting to mention that I have some drooping hands. I told you, well, then lift them. No, no, that's the problem. My hands are getting droopier. And I said, Well, look at your knees. They're chattering. S- strengthen them. You're like, No, that's why I've come. I, I-, I get it. I-, you- I hear that too. It- it- it's my knees. Stop. You'd say, Okay, I-, I don't think this is proving helpful. Because I'm saying that to the symptom that you ought to, in and of yourself, be your physician. And you're thinking, I, I, but I think me being me has got me here. I, I think I need other. I, I need someone else's strength to lift my drooping hands. This is so important that we get the order of this text Right? Because if we look at what is being said within its context, then we will find out in the overall exhortation that when he finally gets to holiness without which no one will see the Lord, we will find out that sanctification Holiness comes to us by promise. He will lift your drooping hands. He will strengthen your weak knees. We need to get the order right. So, if I were to say to you this morning... sanctification belongs to God's promise. Think with me just for a brief moment as we make a a small little definition note. Sanctification. This is a term that perhaps we know, perhaps we don't. So I'll I'll clarify. Sanctification. What we mean by that is this progressive growing in holiness as God's child. A progressive growth in holiness. Right? Okay? So, So there's the term. Now this idea of progressive growth in holiness I am suggesting to you that we will see deeply embedded within the text comes to you by promise. Progressive growth in Christ likeness comes to the believer by promise. so that I would then continue to describe it this way. This is the argument that I want to make this morning. Hopefully I'll successfully make it. And then we'll continue into the text with our second portion next week. But I have to make the first argument. And it is this, that not only does God justify by faith, right? He justifies by faith. He also sanctifies by faith. Sanctification, a believer's growth in holiness, is grounded in the gospel. That is what I would say if you came in and you said, I have drooping hands. I would say what the text is going to say then look to Jesus. But don't, don't, don't lift. Look to Jesus. And that's the lifting. We're going to see this in the argument of the text, I trust, that sanctification is grounded in the gospel. In, in that context, the call to lift your hands makes sense. A brief consideration of the context, then, because it is my argument this morning to be helpful, that indeed we will see that sanctification, the progressive growth in holiness of the believer, belongs to promise. And I'm saying that it is clear from the context of the argument. So those two propositions we began with make sense, are helpful, eternally so, based on the context of the overall argument. For, for that to make sense then when I get there, that the argument makes sense when we get there, I have to sufficiently prove the case that it makes sense where? In the context. So would you please so patiently go with me through a brief consideration of the overall context of chapter 12, which some of you are more familiar with than others. Together we will clarify the argument at work in chapter 12, and then we'll finally arrive at those two propositions that clearly stand out, or perhaps... The one really stands out for the believer's need for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. A brief consideration of the context then. Join with me so that you can walk through this text with me and we can apply it with power. By faith, verse uh, chapter twelve, verse one. We began in the brief consideration of the context. Again, what is it that he is saying? Look with me in verse one. Therefore, since we have, uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is he saying already to you this morning? What is he saying within the context that makes? Each individual piece of the text makes sense for me. What is he saying? He is calling each of us, Christians, believers, to run our sovereignly structured race. God has structured it. Run the race of happenstance. No, that has been set before you. Run this course that God your Father has structured for you. Run it. Within this context of running our own sovereignly structured race, how is it, we ask, that we can run? How is it that we do it? Run! How? Two. By looking to Jesus. Verse two. Run with endurance. How so? looking to Jesus. Who is he described to the runner who is in the race by divine appointment? He furthers divine appointment. Jesus is the founder, the originator, the pioneer, and the continual perfecter. He who sees you through the race. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. How then might I run? By looking to Jesus. He who gifted me with faith. He who is its author. And he who is its sustainer, its perfecter. That I might continue to run with endurance. It isn't, you need to now run with endurance. That is, on your own. You need to run with endurance the race that is set before you by the power and performance of another by looking to Jesus every single day as he who gave the faith and is also its ever-present sustainer. Remember, this is how it will make sense later that he speaks to us the way that he does. A brief consideration of the context of that which I am, you are running this sovereignly structured race by looking to Jesus who authored the faith that you are so exercising and is continually present, sustaining it. He develops throughout the rest of that text that the race that you will and are running involves, and perhaps you are well familiar and well acquainted with this, the race that you are running. It's not some of us in here are running a race. But the race that you, a believer, is, are running. Again, are running. Involves trials. Difficulty and suffering. It does. It's not like it's going to for me and it won't for you. Or it is for you and it isn't for me. Now the suffering might look different because it's me and because it's you. But every child is running a divinely appointed race who has been given faith from the work of Christ and he is the ever-present sustainer as you run. And so as you run and the energy that you need to make the next pass is by the performance and strength of another, you're looking to him. And this race is filled with turbulence. But then you notice this statement that he makes about your turbulent race, perhaps that you are experiencing even now. The turbulence, this difficulty, these trials, this Present suffering. What is our response to be? Look with me, if you would, in verse 5. And you, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, what is the response to him who is weary in this difficult race? He who is experiencing faint-heartedness in this turbulent life, this difficult providence. What is the response? It is to not regard Lightly, the discipline of the Lord. The question in your mind is, why not? This is difficult. This present set of circumstances is turbulent. I'm not feeling deeply anchored. I feel that I'm being tossed to and fro. I feel like I have been thrown into the, uh, maybe it is the dryer. I think the dryer is probably more turbulent than the washer. So we'll say the dryer. It's a drum spinning around, seems tossed to and fro. Pretty good imagery there, for, at least for my mind. You're feeling this way. Don't regard it lightly. Don't cast it off of a ill consequence or no consequence at all. Or, as the text will develop, be embittered against it. Don't. Because that's instinctual, right? He's not... I, I'm. <laughs> This is difficult. I want out from underneath it. I want to I do a different race. And then we set out to run different races. And he says to you, to me, to each of us in this turbulent context, don't regard it lightly. The question is, why not? Why ought I receive this? Why ought I exercise patience underneath it? Why should I somehow find joy? Or how can I find joy How can I be affirmed in such difficulty? Why shouldn't I? I have the right to be bitter. No, 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 no. Don't regard it lightly. The answer comes from the text, verse 7. God is treating you as sons. That is why not to take the turbulence lightly or to be embittered, as the text will say, because it's actually working. It feels kind of, I'm being disregarded, but actually faith that sees brilliantly, recognizes God is affirming me, not discarding me. So don't receive this difficulty with no regard, God is positively treating you as sons. Or I see some ladies present daughters. We could say, if we want to be general, gender-neutral about it, treating us as adopted humans. The purpose for this present trial. But then we find strength and we, we're affirmed. God is treating me as his own. I am his and he is mine. I, I am united to his son by faith. He is affirming me in this challenge as my author and perfecter, ever-present sustainer of my faith. What is the purpose for this outcome? Is there a purpose? Right, how many of us have gone through difficult days and questioned purpose? Well, what's the point? Right? It could be something as small as, I don't know. Bending your nail back. That's annoying and hurtful. It could be as progressive as maybe set about in the hospital bed right now, I think maybe six, seven days. Okay, so we have a range. The question that we have at times in our experience of this turbulence is is there purpose. So we know he's affirming that we are his people, And this is how he is working according to text of Holy Scripture. But the question still remains of purpose. What's the point? Why can't I just go jettison, challenge, trial, difficulty, and suffering, you know, hit the HOV lane, and then get back in somewhere up here where it clears out more? Why not? Why do I have to work this angle here? Is there a purpose? The answer is so affirming from the text is where we concluded last week. It is in order that, look down in the text of the purpose, and again, this is the, the soil within which our current text makes sense. We have to grasp the order of the text. Is there purpose? Yes. Look down in the text of chapter 12, as you look down into verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits? And here is the purpose. What is the purpose of this present difficulty? That you might live. That's the purpose. That you might live. This present difficulty is producing life in you. He's doing it. Not as retribution, but well-being, remember? It is in order that, with divine purpose, in this divinely orchestrated race, that you, his child, might live. That's why you'll die that way by taking the HOV. I'm producing through this. These challenges, this turbulence, I am producing life in you. You will live Look at the further clarification. Verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Fine, great. But he disciplines us for our good. Look at the purpose of the work that God is about in our lives. What is the purpose of this present difficulty In the race that I am running, why does he do this? Why are these challenges present in my life? Why am I lonely? Why are some of these challenges in my life? Why can't I be here? Why can't I be there? Why do I have to experience this suffering? Why does it have to be physical? Why does it have to be emotional? Why does it have all of these cares in this present age? Why? The last statement of verse 10. That we may share... His holiness. That's why. That we might live. That we might share His holiness. And you recall we are approaching the portion of the text that says, Without which no one will see the Lord. In short, he loves you. That's why. This has always been his purpose in your life. I cite for you, just for some of you mentally, others for you perhaps, to jot down, that this is not fly by night. This wasn't Johnny come lately, who's looking at your life that really you've made a real good job of messing up, and he's coming alongside you now to clean it up. It is the orchestration of a father who loves and cares and is sovereignly divine, the race that you are running. Ephesians 1, 4, even as, this is Paul speaking, even as he chose us in him, when? When did that occur? When did he call me? When did he love me? Before the foundation of a world With a purpose clause, in order that we should be holy and blameless before him. He is at work every hour of every day that you might share in his holiness. And it didn't start yesterday. It started as he saw you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Not that you had somehow... Rescue yourself and sit stagnant, but that he would rescue you. And he would bring you through difficulty to share in his holiness, that you would appear before him a purpose so sovereignly constituted, which he will never abandon, that you would be holy and blameless before him. So you think that's a good return. On the turbulence. His promise involved in these difficulties. That is his purpose. <clears throat> that you would be holy and blameless before him. And if you look at verse 11. You see his promise. It is his purpose. But I'm wondering in my mind. Could the purpose be Lost. In other words, it's his purpose, I get it, it's his intent. But could I fumble it all away? Can I in and of myself fumble it all away? I know he wants it. I know it's his purpose. I have some drooping hands though. And some really weak knees. So I say to you, well then just lift your hands. Oh, that's worse. Because I guess the assessment is I could lose it. I could fumble it all the way. And I guess the affirmation this morning is I am in that process. And I maybe I have because my knees continue to clatter. Maybe. I need promises, assurances, that this entire work doesn't rest on me. Okay, great. Because that's what he affords us. That's what he gives us. That's what he provides for us right here in verse 11. To each of us, he says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Right? It's real. It's not a figment of the imagination. And it isn't something we should pretend it is. Slow down, believer. Be honest about it. Experience it. Because it's real. It hurts. Oh, no, it doesn't. No, it's all for the greater good. No, I know that I'm going to share. No, 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 yes, it does. It hurts. So he affirms. It doesn't feel pleasant. Undergirding the experience is promise. The final portion of verse 11 that guides us into our portion this morning No, I'm not getting ready to start for like another 17 verses. It is this. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you notice the severity of language? It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Notice what it does not say. Equally, it may produce righteousness. Okay, so where are we at on the percentages? Am I on the produce righteousness side, or am I on the left behind side? Where, 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 where am I located on the production? No, 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 no. It isn't that it might, that it may, you might be one in who... It is, it yields. It is yours by promise that this present trial and challenge and suffering and difficulty will produce spirit wrought righteousness. And you just went like this. Whew. So he who is able. Will produce in me who is clearly unable his fruits? Yes. He will. Yes, he will. But there is one more statement prior to advancing the argument. How can I be sure that I am among the ones who end up, according to the text, being trained by it? Do you see that at the end of verse 11? it works to those who have been trained by it how do you know you're one in whom the training is taking effect so 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 get it right you're you're kind of put it in this um this this context where training is occurring which we identify in the text as suffering trial and difficulty at various levels and in various ways active work of god that hurts and is challenging And so it's occurring in our life. And then he says, by those who have been trained by it. And you say, oh, there's the out. I might not be one in whom is being trained by it. There it is. This entire house of cards is going to fall. How do I know I'll be one among whom is being trained? How many of us will be trained? Because that's the question. Because whoever is trained will be one who will experience spirit rot. Righteousness by this present difficulty. There is purpose and there is promise in difficulty if we are those among who are being trained. How many of us are being trained by it? Is it just those who have a, a, a listening ear, a better disposition? So it does rest on me to be trained? Look at the text, if you would, to clarify the answer for those whom are being trained by it. Look in verse 6 again. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises, which is the proving ground, the training ground, the working ground of how many of his children that he receives. How many are being trained? In other words, how many of us will experience by this turbulence, will experience spirit wrought righteousness? How many? Every son. Look at verse 8. If you are left without it, if you are left without the training, you're left without the discipline, you're left without the active engagement of God's love that is seen in trials, suffering, not exclusively, but is evidenced by these difficulties if you are left without this in which how many of God's people have participated how many all of them every single one of us not just some of us are being trained God isn't just committed to a few of us but he is committed by grace through Christ to all of us. We have all participated, and if not, then you are not a child. Memorize my introduction this morning. Back to my original statement that we considered earlier. There is. I, I want you. If you if you have drooping hands. And weak knees. And I don't mean like poor physical prowess. I'm talking about if you have that, if that is your experience, if that is your providence at the moment, I want to strengthen you. Uh, there is no one who has been justified. When I say justified, I mean Declared to be righteous. Not by your performance, but by the performance of another, namely Jesus Christ. There is no one who has been justified who also will not be sanctified. How many of the children will be trained? How many of the children will share in his holiness? All of them. And does it come by taking the HOV? No. I'm identifying HOV as like a shortcut. No. Why not? Because he loves us too much. We die in the HOV. He is working in deep, mysterious, and hard, yet beautiful ways in our lives, each one of us, in order that we might live. 1 Corinthians one thirty states it this way. This is the Apostle Paul speaking here. What I'm laboring to do is to be able to eventually preach this text. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this about the justified and the sanctified. He being one and the same, a child of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who God made. This is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, you've probably sang it or heard it on the radio, upwards of, I don't know, I, I, maybe this is hyperbole, upwards of a million times in Christ alone. You believe that, don't you? It springs here. God made him our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption what could my response be to that Paul says let the one who boasts boast in the lord that's the response my life is hidden with Christ on high there is according to John 15 just Go with me in your mind quickly as I'm really, I promise, I'm approaching point number one for this morning. John 15. In your mind, you know there as Christ is speaking that he is the vine and you are the branches. And the branch, because of the work, not like at a moment but always constant, consistent, perfecter. He, the vine, through the life of the branch, does what for the branch's good? He produces fruit. He produces fruit. So work that backwards. There is then No branch who is fueled by the vine who will not bear fruit. It doesn't exist. Because we find out at the middle, toward the end of John 15, that if a branch does not bear fruit, It is cut off and thrown in the fire. He, the vine, produces fruit in the branch. And the branch is in union to the vine, not by effort, but by faith. I have one point for this morning. And I know you're wondering, is he joking? Kind of. I have one point that I intended to get to this morning, which we will then conclude the next time that we're together in the book of Hebrews. We'll do point number two. This week is point number one because we have to get the order of this text right. And it is my attempt to do so. Point number one is this, if you are now tuning in, point number one is this sanctification, that is progressive growth and holiness for the believer. Sanctification is promised to every believer. I hope I have sufficiently argued to that point that I can then progress to show its evidences moving forward in the text that number one, sanctification is promised to how many of us every single one of us who have looked to Christ by faith. Point number 2 that I will forecast that we will get to. Sanctifying promise. He will do this work. Calls for perseverance. Action, movement in every believer, but we must tackle number 1. Sanctification is promised to every believer. Can I show you just briefly? I will skip, hop, and jump through the text in a way to be helpful within our time constraints. Verse 12. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. but Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore... Oh, we're moving. We're moving now. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame right now, injurious, down and out, may not be put out of joint. That is, don't find yourself incapacitated. Rather, be healed. Be healed. The question is, be healed with what? How? I have drooping hands, weak knees. Wait a minute. We said that sanctification is promised to every single believer. How is this text working? By the therefore, in verse 12, since he is sufficiently established promise. It's not that some might experience righteousness. Some might have peace. Some might have the fruits of the Spirit. Produced in them by the work of the Son. Some of us, no, all of us, based on that promise. Lift your drooping hands. Do you see? Lift your drooping hands because of promise. He is at work in this present difficulty. And he will not abandon that work. Until he sees it all the way through. And you are experiencing fruit. You mean? I'm not just told to lift them on my own? No. How can I lift them? How? I I want to take my hand spiritually from here and lift them to here. How do I go from here to here? How? By believing. Just like you did in verse one. Verse, no, sorry. Verse two. Two. By looking. The exhortation is grounded in the gospel. By looking to Jesus in this turbulence. Understanding by faith that he is deeply at work in me that promise of assurance, give ways to strength. It isn't happenstance. And because now I know that, because faith sees through the eyes of revelation, I just read and was told that God is at work here. It's right here in his word to me that he is working in me, producing Fruit in me. He's doing it. You mean there's purpose? You mean there's promise to my exhaustion? Life-saving? Holiness-producing promise? Yes. I'm suddenly able, by that promise, to lift my drooping hands because He loves me. The answer here in the text to lifting, strengthening, making straight, and being healed. The question is how. The answer is by believing in God's promise that this present trial, this present challenge, this overwhelming difficulty, and this suffering is producing spirit Wrought righteousness, without which I would not have. In other words, there is no other way to have it. The promise comes from an additional text, if I could cite for you, Second Corinthians twelve, nine. You're familiar with this text too. I don't think you've read it a million times, like the song that you've sang perhaps a million times. So maybe I won't say that you've read it a million times but you're familiar 2 Corinthians 12:9 My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness at work in my life yes I am you won't abandon me no I won't you haven't this difficult providence is not evidence that you have no it isn't is there purpose yes there is what is it that you might share in my holiness is there another way to share no there isn't Will I die in this? No, not a hair on your head will perish. But by this difficulty, you will truly live. How? By looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. The exhortation to lift is grounded in the gospel. This must comfort each one of us as we wrestle both with that which is outside of us in difficult providence as well as that which is deeply within us. If I would in our concluding of our time together, whether it is a dark and difficult providence that you are currently experiencing, that which is outside of you, or you are experiencing a deep and painful realization of the sin that is within you. God is in this trial graciously revealing that you are not strong, but that you are weak, and that you are a needy child, and that Jesus is a powerful Savior and an able. Sanctifier. I conclude with the word of the Lord for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Sanctification is anchored in God's promise. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would enable us to think clearly.